Our History, Episode 1. Why Study History? Hi, my name is Otto, and welcome to our history podcast. The history podcast I'm making with my dad. Dad, introduce yourself. I'm your father, Luke. Oh really, Dad? Are you going to do that every time? Can I? No. Not even if we discuss the absolutely fascinating point about where to put the comma. If I am speaking and I am telling you that I am your father and my name is Luke, compared to Darth Vader, who is telling his son, Luke, that he is his father? Even wait, especially not that. Just introduce yourself normally. Okay. I am Otto's dad and my name is Luke. (sighs) So, haha, Otto. Episode one of our history podcast. And what are we going to talk about? What it says in the title? Why study history? Good point. So, why do we study history? I suppose, I mean, it can all be a bit dull, can't it, for the poor kids sitting in a classroom. It's all about in the year of our Lord, 1776, or uh, the King Dudar married the Duchess of Bidleybonk. Um, or was it all just dates? Is it 1066, 1214, 1215, 1214? One of them. Mm. One of them was Magna Carta. Um, 1815, 1914 to 1918, all that sort of stuff, 1789. Um, we can perhaps test ourselves on what all those ones mean. So is that what it's all about? Well, not for me it isn't. Yeah, I can remember when I was about your age, Otto, that I had to do a project about uh, King Alfred. And it was amazing to hear about this guy who was the King of Wessex and he was stuck in some marsh somewhere with a few soldiers left and all his army completely defeated and his whole country totally taken over by the great heathen army of Vikings. And then slowly, bit by bit, Alfred fought back and took back Wessex and basically set up what you could start seeing as the England kind of in the shape that we know it today. He wasn't really the first king of England, but he was kind of the first king who wanted to be a king of England or had any idea that one could be a king of England. Before that, it was all little countries like Wessex and Mercia and Northumbria, till the Danes came along and destroyed them all, of course. Anyway, enough about me and about Alfred. So if we're going to discuss why study history, let's start with one of the greatest figures of history of all time, Julius Caesar. Wow, now that's a name, isn't it? Otto, what do you know about Julius Caesar? I only got stabbed by his friends, and, well, there was that story when he got captured by pirates, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. And uh, that's when they told him how much ransom they were going to demand. He told them to increase it, because he was worth more than that. Yep. He was a modest chap, our Julius. Yeah, and he kind of gained friends with the pirates. But he told them that when he got away, he would come back and kill them all. They thought it was a bit of a joke, but he did. He liked to keep a promise. Do you know he killed them himself? Yeah, they were going to be crucified, but he cut their throats. That's a bit nicer, I suppose. I suppose. Um, I love that story. I think it says a lot about the kind of person we're dealing with. He was a great general too, wasn't he? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, if you are saying that he knew how to get into fights, he really was. Did he pretty much wipe out all the Gauls? Well, they reckon he was probably responsible for the death of about a million Gauls, which was pretty good going at the time. But of course, there was one village of redoubtable Gauls that resisted the Romans. Dad, you're not going to tell me that Asterix and Obelix are historical characters, are you? No, but the books do bring real history in really cleverly. There's one where Asterix and Obelix meet Caesar after the Battle of Alesia. That's one where he surrounded the town with two walls, isn't it? Yeah, one to keep one lot of Gauls in the town, and another one to keep another lot of Gauls out, so that they couldn't relieve their mates inside Alesia. It was an amazing battle. These were enormous armies. They reckon about 80,000 Gauls inside Elysia, nearly 300,000 in the re relief army, against about 70,000 Romans. Wow, so Caesar was really up against it, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, but there was a big difference between the disciplined Romans and a bunch of barbarians who had a completely different way of fighting. They didn't understand the way the Romans fought as a tight unit. They were all about personal glory so that they were forever throwing themselves individually against ranks of Roman shields and just getting slaughtered. So it didn't end well for the barbarians. Yep, you're right, it didn't end well. They also had nothing like the Romans' engineering skills. I mean, think about it. To whack together two fortifications with ditches filled with water, towers at regular intervals, pits filled with sharpened stakes and all sorts of other traps and impediments, just for one battle. That's nuts. That was more fortification than any permanent barbarian city would ever have. Caesar also frightened the hell out of the Germans by building a bridge across the Rhine. The Germanic tribes basically thought they could nip across the Rhine, cause havoc and nip back to be safe, as it took so long to build a bridge those days that by the time anyone had built one, they could have got a massive army together to defend the bridgehead by the time anyone could get across. But Caesar whacked up a bridge in ten days, marched across, burned a few villages to show everyone he was the man, and then he marched back again and destroyed the bridge. Why did he destroy the bridge? I don't know. I suppose he had made his point. He was probably worried the Germans would use it to go the other way. So if Caesar was going around like he owned the place and was pretty awesome, why did his friends end up stabbing him? Well, in a way, precisely because he was such an all-round dude. The Romans really didn't like kings, and Caesar was beginning to look a lot like a king. His mate, Mark Antony, had offered him a crown, which he turned down. But if your mate is telling you to become a king, how long before you decide that, hey... Maybe it was a good idea after all. And he was made a dictator. Now, at the time, that really didn't mean what it means today. It was meant to be a position where one man was given temporary power, when there was a bit of a crisis going on to sort things out, and then he was supposed to step aside. But when Caesar made himself dictator for life, and, yep, that pretty much meant what it means today, top dude, in charge of everything, forever. And that did sound a lot like a king. Ah, so that's why they stabbed him. To, you know, keep the whole nice republic going with all the democracy. Precisely. In order to save the republic, a bunch of the old school senators killed him. 
But it didn't really work out very well for the Senators at the end, did it? Nah, they ended up with emperors, and emperors really are like kings. But it's a great story, isn't it? Yeah. It's stories like that that really make me love history. You really couldn't make them up, and you don't need to. History just gives them to you already made. Yeah. It's not surprising that Shakespeare wrote a play about Julius Caesar, and then he wrote another one about Antony and Cleopatra, and all the wars that followed Caesar's assassination. But there's more to it than just the story, isn't there? Who were the people that killed Caesar? Senators. Where did they kill him? In the Senate. And why did they kill him? To defend the Republic. Senate, Republic. These are all familiar words. There are Republics all over the world now. But at the time, it was a pretty unusual form of government. Most of the enemies of Rome, with some important exceptions, were ruled by kings and chiefs. Rome was one of the first states that voted to elect representatives to govern them. But didn't the Greeks do a lot of democracy in that kind of thing? Yes. Yeah, of course, it was the Greeks who invented, air quotes, democracy. It was their word anyway, but they did it a bit differently. Basically, anyone who was allowed to vote could get down to the main square in Athens and vote on all sorts of individual laws or important decisions. Who do you want to lead the armies in the upcoming war? We want that guy. OK, that guy lost the war. What should we do with him? Banish him! It worked pretty well for a while, but as Athens was a city-state, it was vaguely practical to get all the electors into the main square to participate in all these votes but it wouldn't really work on a bigger scale. The system the Romans came up with, after they had decided to chuck their kings out, was a whole lot more practical, and had a lot in common of how we do government in the modern day. You elect a bunch of people you think are sensible to debate and come up with laws, the senators, and then you elect some people at the top to put those laws in action, the consuls. Rome had a pretty good idea of having not one person, like a president or a prime minister, at the top, but two. The idea being that if two people shared the top role, they'd be less likely to have absolute power go to their heads and think they were some sort of king. The Romans really didn't like kings, did they? No, they didn't. But the story of Julius Caesar is also the story of the end of the Republic as a form of government. The senators that killed him thought they were defending the Republic, but it really didn't work in the long run. First, there was a war between them on the one side against Caesar's best buddy, Mark Antony, and Caesar's nephew, Octavian, on the other. The defenders of the Republic lost. Then, after that, Mark Antony and Octavian went at it. Octavian won, changed his name to Augustus, and basically became the first emperor of Rome. He spent a lot of time pretending he wasn't an emperor, calling himself Princeps, first among equals. But from then on, for the next 1,500 years or so, Rome was ruled by an emperor. Even though, weirdly, Rome wasn't even in Rome, or even in Italy. It had somehow move, moved to Turkey. But that's another story. So, Otto, all this talk of uh, senators and senates and republics and emperors, doesn't that remind you of something? Star Wars. Yes, go on. For all those people who, ha who haven't seen Star Wars, air quotes, tell them a little bit about the politics of Star Wars. Well, 
it was basically like there was this nice parliament running full of senators and people who were debating with democratically until something went wrong and then one of the senators pretty much just took over and became the emperor. Was he a goodie? No. <laughs> yeah. So basically, George Lucas thought it was a pretty good story that he did Rome in space with added Jedi, lightsabers and so on. So, so far, what have we got from history? Great stories for the likes of Shakespeare and Lucas to pick up and play around with. We've also got the timeline, haven't we? Throughout the history of humanity, we have changed, adapted and modified what has come before us. The Queen today has got a very different role and completely different powers from her predecessors. But we had a Queen Elizabeth as head of state 400 years ago, and we have got another one now. And sometime soon we'll have a King Charles. Well, yeah, but hopefully we won't have to chop this one's head off. Hopefully not. And in Rome we can see some of the ideas and systems that have travelled down through history to shape the systems of government that we use today. Obviously there are massive differences. Yes, they had elections, but you could only take part if you were a free man and a Roman citizen. If you were a woman or a slave, and at the time the majority of the population were slaves, forget it. But here comes possibly the trickiest and also the most interesting thing about history. What can the lessons of the past teach us about what we should do today? There are all sorts of quotes along the lines of Those who don't know about history are condemned to repeat it. I don't know why I put on my Churchill voice there. I don't think it was him who said it. So history can tell us a lot about where we have come from. But can it tell us anything about where we are going? So the United States is a republic and it has senators. It even has a capital. So is the US the new Rome? No, of course not. The US is the US and Rome was Rome. In a country where black slavery was legal not 200 years ago, they have had a black president and were within spitting distance of having a woman president. But maybe we can see some things in common. Both states were set up very deliberately as the opposites of a monarchy and their institutions were designed to prevent one person holding too much power. Ah, so the Americans didn't like kings either. No, they really didn't. The Roman Republic fell partly because these institutions became controlled by a small elite that seemed to use them just to further the interests of that small group of men. So, when a Julius Caesar or an Augustus came along, promising to give back power to the little man and make Rome Rome again, that sounded great. Doesn't that sound familiar? Oh my days, Donald Trump. Yup. <laughs> now, obviously, we can't say that Trump is the new Julius Caesar. Nope. <laughs> I can't quite see him leading a cavalry charge against a horde of Gauls, can you? Nope. I think he'd be a bit rubbish in a battle, don't you? Yeah. Yeah? His hair would get in the way for a start. Oh, good point. <laughs> And nor is he some sort of new Hitler, 
as lots of people seem to say. But what we can say from looking at history is that we do need to be very careful of these kinds of people who come along promising to stand up for the little man against the elites, like Caesar, or who claim that the problems we are experiencing is because of them, like Hitler did. Donald Trump is Donald Trump. He is not the general that Caesar was, but he doesn't need to be. Back then, being a great general was the best way to get famous. Donald Trump's a TV personality. That's how he got famous. Donald Trump is not a great orator, like Hitler was. But these days, standing up and making a marvellous speech in front of thousands of people is not the way to get your message across. Hitler didn't have Twitter, but you can certainly say what you like about the Donald. He certainly knows how to twit. Tweet. Sorry, my mistake. So, what do you think we've learned over the course of making this podcast, Otto? So, we found out that history is full of amazing stories and that there are some amazingly terrifying similarities between ancient Rome and modern America. You think so? Yes. <laughs> cool. Um, and also, I think we should remember that we can learn a lot about things in our world that have come from the past, like, you know, monarchies or republics and all that stuff. Cool, so that's our first episode in the bag. What do you think? Shall we go on? How shall we go on? Shall we start at the very beginning? Because it is a very good place to start. Ah, the sound of music. What a film. <sighs> you know, do, a do. A female deer, Ray, a drop of golden sun. Dad, please, I'd rather listen to one of your Bob Dylan songs than listen to you sing. Sorry. What I meant was, should we do this podcast chronologically, like that lovely book, The Short History of the World by E.H. Gombrich, that we read? You know, sort of start with the dinosaurs and work our way to rockets in space. Bit boring. How about topics? Topics. Great idea. Have you got any ideas? Let's run through a few. History of transport. Mm-hmm. History of food. History of food. And healthy eating. That's a good idea. Um, history of um, weapon weaponry, mm-hmm. war and weaponry. Yeah. History of money and wealth. Excellent. Um... Didn't you want to do history of parenting? Yes. Yeah. History of schooling. History of schooling and education. That would be fascinating. I'd like to do history of parenting so you can see just how lucky you are, little boy. History of sport and entertainment. Cool. Yeah. Gladiators and stuff like that. All the way down to football. Music. Yeah. That that would go with the entertainment thing. Awesome. History of communication. Yes. Yeah. You know, from, from sort of... Messengers. Yeah. To text messages. Awesome. Messengers to text messages. I like that. Text messages. Awesome. History of dictators. History of dictators. That sounds interesting. So we look at one particular topic and see how it has changed or maybe hasn't changed through history. Yeah. So, well, we've just done Caesar. How about starting with the history of di- dictators? Good idea. So that's great. That's our first episode of Our History. 
and see you all next time for the next episode of Our History, which will be all about dictators. That's goodbye from me. 